one thing the Lord's been laying heavy on my heart is about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. If you're a new Christian, you may not know about it, but it's the time when God's going to purify all of his children. And uh, we can read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if we won't read it now, but if you want to read it when you go home, uh, feel free. But what it is, is there's a big fire, and it's only for believers. And God's going to put each of us through this fire, and he says all the wood, hay and stubble is going to burn up, and it's not going to get to the other side. And he says all the wood, all the gold and the silver and the precious stones, they're going to get to the other side. And they're going to be gained for the individual. And the Lord's going to reward us. Now, I used to always think about that, and I think that that's sort of like a, a little bit of a rebuke and a little bit of a punishment for people that haven't really served the Lord with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul because they're going to be able to see things burn up in front of them, parts of their lives burn up. And uh, in recent years, what the Lord has uh, encouraged me about is that that judgment seat of Christ, it's pure grace and it's pure blessing. And you know, there's times when you guys would have got up out of bed and maybe you don't want to look in the mirror. Maybe your life is coming apart at the seams. Maybe you've, uh, you've done something, your relationships are broken, you're uh, you, maybe you're in turmoil, and I've been there too. Uh, because just because I'm a missionary doesn't mean that I have a different life to what each of you have. And there's times when we're when we're broken and we're distraught, and when we and sometimes we regret things that have taken place in our lives. And uh, the thing that the Lord encourages me about is that everything that's bad is going to be burnt up. All the times where I messed up and when you messed up, the Lord, he paid for it all when he died on the cross. We say, okay, I'm saved. He paid for all of my sin. But even the very record and even the very scent and even the very thought of all the times when we failed, the Lord's going to burn it. And we're going to be his bride, it tells us in Scripture. And it says we're going to be without spot and without blemish. We're going to be pure. And that's kind of like the finishing touches that the Lord's going to put on our lives. And no one's going to be upset. We're all going to be really happy that all of the bad stuff, the Lord's taken it away. That's one thing the Lord's teaching me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the work in just a sec. I praise the Lord for you guys, by the way. Uh, I pray that you'll continue to grow, uh, that God will... Uh, mature, not just me but you, you'll be able to serve him more faithfully, that your lives will bring fruit. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Put your time into, into God's word, read it and, and learn from it and ask the Lord to change you. Another thing that the Lord's taught me is not to be judgmental. Uh, we're very, very quick to judge one another. And we seem to know everything just right. You ever had that? You feel like you're just right? You know everything? They're the baddie, you're the goody. And uh, our time, our lives were in danger a lot in the Philippines. Uh, I think we can be thankful that the Lord preserved Debbie and I. 
Uh, wasn't long after we were in there, they wanted to kidnap Debbie and sell her to the Muslims. She's a really beautiful young woman. They're going to measure her with handspans, how many handspans, and that she get a thousand pesos for every handspan. That's about 25 bucks. So she's worth about $150. <laughs> I would have given them 200. <laughs> uh, outbid them. Uh, one day my life was at being threatened. There were some letters that we'd received that were going to kill me. And uh, the letter had been found by the, down by the river. It's called a puskin. And uh, I was going to be killed. And I was currently building a second mission station. We have six mission stations now, spread over a very, very large area. We just work with the Filipino churches. Uh, we're kind of independent, but we're not independent. We're interdependent with the body of Christ, and we're trying to see what God will do through our lives or what's left of them, and we want to keep working. But we're building our second mission station, and these death threats were coming in, and I had to come home, and Debbie's there. She's up, and there's a big swollen river that is almost uncrossable, and I used to be a good swimmer when I was young. And all of the Higgle people that were helping me to build this mission station, because we'd come home for the weekend... Uh, they wouldn't swim the river, and I thought, well, I'll swim it. And uh, I went way up river, and I started swimming, and one time I was in the middle of the river, and there was a wave on either side of me. I couldn't see the bank. It was really a roaring river. And uh, a banana tree came floating down, and my arm came down on it and dislocated my shoulder. And the rocks were down there, and I thought I was going to go under the rocks, and that many people had been killed in that river. And I'm just about to go past where I should have been going up on the other side. And a fellow hold out, held out a long bit of bamboo, about 50 feet long. And I grabbed the end of it and he pulled me in. And I lived to fight another day. But the fellow that pulled me in was the fellow that Debbie and I were almost certain of that was going to kill me. And the Lord said... Don't judge. You can't see what people's hearts are like. We look on the outside, but the Lord looks on the inside. We need to give each other a break. We need to strive for unity. To have unity so that we can serve the Lord together. We don't need to have any squabbles within the family. The family changes. Most of you people here, maybe more than half, I probably have never met. See, because the older people get older and the younger ones come on and we're just like a regular family. After all, the old people die. Look, I'm going to go and trace my roots in a few days because my folk come from Yarram and I want to go and have a look down there. And I was even told that I lived there for a year when I was first born and I didn't even know that. One of my aunties told me. So the families go on and the families go on. I wanted to mention also I really appreciate George. Uh, he's been a, a friend. He's been a companion in missions. Uh, he probably laid out some of the foundations for this building. And uh, he's been there with Deb and I the whole lot of the way because, see, we didn't come out of... I didn't come out of a Christian home. We didn't have a home church. Debbie grew up in the jungle. 
I was out in the bush. I got saved. I spent my, spent my 20th birthday in, in jail. And then I got saved and I heard about tribal people that needed the gospel, that hadn't heard the way of salvation and they couldn't hear it because nobody would tell it to them. And I was in such a hurry at that time, I thought I have to put my name down, I have to actually go because if I'm not quick, and there was 500 people in this meeting, I thought I won't get a job because everybody else will go before me. <laughs> I was a new believer. And we went to the mission field. And it's true, when we walked in there and Debbie and I, uh, we had two plates and two knives and two forks and she says, where are we going to sleep? I said, well, I don't know. And then they put us in this house and there was all uh, idols and everything else in this house and there's pigs sleeping just a few inches from our backs below the bamboo floor. And they woke us up at four in the morning and the chief said, well, where are you going to live, Paul? Where are you going to live? So I got the first same question in twice in 24 hours. And I said, I don't know, it's up to you. And they put us in a house that was, well, the back wall was falling out. There was a pig wallow in the middle of it. It did have a little upper area that we could sleep in. There was bullet holes all in it. People had been killed in it and no one wanted to live there. They were scared of the spirits. And we said, well, we'll go live there. Debbie got rid of all the big centipedes and everything else. They had the wives of two murderers that had just been killed months earlier come to help us. We didn't know. One of them was the daughter of a witch doctor. And that's how we started our lives here. A lot of people ran away to the forest. They thought I was going to eat their children. I don't like children. <laughs> but I'm really big. And they're quite small. And we're different coloured skins. And they thought I was a spirit. And after, all, after a while they had to just see that we were people. They saw that we cried. That we got sick. That we missed our families. That we hurt. That we got hungry. I lost 25 kilos in six months. They saw my body get smaller as I tried to grapple with eating the different foods that they ate, whether it be frogs or pigs from the, the wild or whatever it was that we were eating, rice. I remember I went to town one day and in the shop now, what time do I finish, Danny? <laughs> oh, sorry, watch that up there. Uh, just go like that. When it's done. I'll give, I'll give you a five. Yeah, because I'll forget. Yeah. I went out and they're selling M&Ms in this store. And you never saw M&Ms there. Never saw anything there. No sausages, meat pies, fish and chips. <laughs> and I'm skinny. And there's these M&Ms out there and they're in these one pound packets. I said, I'll have some M&Ms. And they said, well... And well, they hand me a packet. And I said, no, no, take all of them. <laughs> I'd eat my rice and then I'd go upstairs and eat a handful of M&Ms. That's what it was like. That's what it was like. Sometimes we'd go to people's homes and they'd slam their door. They didn't want to see us. They didn't want us there. 
You know, the scripture says that no man seeks after God. God's the great missionary. He's the one that seeks after people. He did it to me. And I'll bet he did it to you. That you came to the place where you actually gave your life to him. You surrendered. And I surrendered. And I want to share about that in a bit more depth tomorrow night. If you want to come out to the missionary time tomorrow night, if you have any unsaved friends or family you want to bring, well, I'll share the gospel uh, through my testimony. They started to see that we were people. And then we started to teach. We started to learn their language. And you know what? They told me before I left the training centre where we went, they said, Paul, you won't be able to learn a language because you're not that way inclined. Well, we learnt three. And we planted churches in three languages. And we're on our second translation that should be finished this year. And my motto is that God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. What he needs is just people to say, here am I, Lord, send me. You know, we need more missionaries too. Uh, you guys are talking about missions. This church has actually sent missionaries out for many, many years. And it could be that well, there'll be some more. Young people are good. Old people are not so good. <laughs> Young people think they're bulletproof. They go out and they'll do things. A lot of the time, the older people were kind of a bit, bit scared, and that includes me. We start to change as we get older. So... Young people, if there's young people here that want to go out and serve God on the mission field, start pushing for it, start pushing for it. But you have to be the right quality person too. Not everybody's the same part in the body. You don't send the janitor to the mission field. Not that the janitor's not needed, he's very, very needed. In fact, if you took him away, you wouldn't be very happy. You know, the first church in... Uh, up in the north of Jerusalem called Syria. They sent Barnabas up there. The apostles heard about this church in Syria and uh, they're, they're amazed because the persecution was starting down in Jerusalem and there was a church up in Syria and they're all Gentiles. They weren't Jewish people in this church. And they said to Barnabas, you better go up there, Barnabas, and see what's going on. So Barnabas went up to that church and he saw it and he said, boy, we really need to help these new believers up in Syria. And he started thinking about it and he thought, ah, I know a guy up in Tarsus the Apostle Paul. So he went up there and he found him and he brought him back to Syria. And he and the Apostle Paul started to grow that group of believers until eventually they said, okay, we're going to send missionaries out to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know who they sent? Paul and Barnabas. Their number one leaders. The most qualified people in their fellowship that could take the precious word of God to other cultures and planted in other cultures. There was so much that they had to do. You see, the Jewish people, they didn't even like Gentile people. You know, we talk about Debbie and I going and being missionaries in another place with different types of people that speak different languages and we think, boy, that's really, really hard. Well, it was the same for the early churches. They didn't eat the food that they ate. And we had to learn to eat that food. In fact, the Lord Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you dirty, but it's what comes out of your mouth. And it says, through that he declared all foods to be clean. So Debbie and I, we went in and we learnt the, the, the language, we started to build relationships, and 
then we started to teach the people from God's word and we had to start just with who God was. They didn't know who God was. They knew who all the evil spirits were. The evil spirits used to possess their witch doctors and speak to them through the witch doctors, but they didn't know who the creator was. And his name is Magbabaya in their culture and it means the one that does whatever he wants to do. And that really is a good description for God. He does whatever he wants to do. And we started to teach them that he doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. He, didn't, he wasn't born. He didn't have a mother. He doesn't get old. He doesn't have a walking stick. He doesn't have a cooking pot. He doesn't have to cook rice. He doesn't have to eat. The light and the darkness is the same for him. One moment is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years is just like a moment. His body doesn't get bad. He loves us. He's everywhere. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows our thoughts, even the thoughts we're going to think tomorrow. And these people started to fall in love with Magbabaya. I remember the first time I, and I'm going to share more about this tomorrow night. First time I taught them about the fall of man. Man being cut off from God. Man being uh, uh, sin coming into the world and causing a division between man and God. Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit, which wasn't an apple, it was the, tr it was the fruit of, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they took it and they ate it, and by eating it, they basically said to God, we don't want you, we want to go in the other direction. And they were willing for them to part company with God. And I remember telling the people that everything was destroyed when they ate that. The animal kingdom was cursed, people were cursed, We'd get sick, we'd get old, we'd have to brush our teeth because we're slowly decaying. When we get up in the morning, we're going to have to have a shower. And we see it in our everyday lives as people that things are going down, our hair starts changing, and our bodies start decaying until the Lord returns us back to dust. And I said, and you know, every single one of us here, we were not born in that garden with Adam and Eve. We were born on the outside of the garden. And we're all under that same curse, and we're all going to go to an eternal fire outside of God's provision. And I remember an old man stood up and he said, Paul, he said, that's the worst news I've ever heard in my life. We're going to go to hell. We're cut off from God. And there's a whole bunch of people, 40-odd people there. And he said, if you can't tell me that you're going to have some good news in the future, we're not going to listen anymore. Well, I agree with him. And I said to him, Apple, which is like Grandpa, I said, we're going to have some really, really good news. But we've got to know the bad news first. We realise that we're cut off, and then we come to the Lord. We come to the Lord like that leper in the opening chapters of the book of Luke. And he was totally depraved. His body was being eaten away by this, this disease. Nobody wanted him. As he would walk around, wherever he went, he'd have to cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn everybody that he was coming. And he had to have a face mask on, like you guys. That's what they had to do. You can read about it in Leviticus. And he had to cover his body. And he went up to Jesus, and Jesus let him come close. And he said, you know, he said, Lord, he said, if you're willing, if you're willing, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus looked at him and he was filled with compassion and he said, I'm willing. And that leper was cleansed.
And that's what happened to you, and that's what happened to me. And if it didn't happen to you yet, I hope it happens. I hope you get to the stage in your life where you say, listen, I can't do this anymore. I've got to come to the Lord and I've got to accept him as your saviour. You know, we taught through the whole of the Old Testament in about maybe 25, 26 weeks, always teaching that God's promise of a saviour was coming until eventually we said, next week you're going to know who the saviour is. Because we hadn't told him yet. And they all come early next week. They wanted to know. And I said to them, do you want to know who the Saviour is the following week? And they said, we do. And I said, well, it's God. It's God. The one that doesn't have a beginning. The Alpha and the, and the Omega. The one that loves you. He decided that it was time for him to come down and actually take on a body and become man so that he could make our payment of death. That's his purpose for coming. And we continue to teach about it until we got to the New Testament. We got to the time there when he's coming up the hill and he's going into Jerusalem and he takes his disciples aside and he says, you know, when, we're getting up to, when we get to the top up there, they're going to arrest me and they're going to beat me and they're going to spit upon me and they're going to kill me, but on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And I can imagine if I was one of the Lord's disciples on that day, I probably would have said to him, well, hey, we're going the wrong way. Let's turn around and go down the hill. If you know all that. But he came and he was a lamb that was to give his life. And you know, the, one of the prime sacrifices up in the tribal areas that we work with, it's a pig. Now, when you kill a pig, you're going to hear the squealing from here to Druin. I don't know whether you've ever killed a pig. Maybe you would have shot one. But when you kill them with a knife, and that's how I've killed pigs, they squeal and they squeal and they squeal. Whereas when you kill a lamb, and probably many of you have killed a lamb, you pull the lamb back onto his hindquarters and you can just plunge a knife in him and he's quiet. He's quiet and he's gentle. He gives his life. He doesn't struggle. He knows what he's there for, almost. And that's what Jesus was like. And that's why when John the Baptist saw Jesus come in, he said, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's the lamb, there's the sacrifice, there's the one that God is going to kill. The one that God is going to sacrifice. And then the net result was he would take away the sin of the world. I love the reading. I love the uh, John 3.16 that we talked about earlier. You know, if you're not secure in your salvation, you didn't get that salvation. Because God said that if you believe in his one and only son, he will give you eternal life. Eternal life. And that means that it doesn't end. So I say to people when they say, well, I don't know whether I'm going to go to heaven because I actually did some sin after I got saved. I say, well, you didn't get the salvation that John 3.16 is talking about. Because John 3.16 promises a life that is finished because a payment has been made and Jesus made that payment and he says, you can come to me, I'm going to seal you with the Spirit, put my Spirit into your life, in the future I'm going to resurrect your body if you die before I come back and then in the future I'm going to have a great fire 
called the judgment seat of Christ and even all the sins that you did, all the interim sins from the time you got saved until the time you went to heaven, I'm going to just burn them all up like wood on the bonfire. And you're going to be my bride and you're going to be without spot and you're going to be without blemish. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? The Lord's got a contingency plan for our sin, for our guilt, for the times where we haven't done what we wanted to do. He's going to burn it all up. Thanks for standing with Debbie and I in the work. You guys come in, you worship the Lord. I love worshiping the Lord with you earlier. But you guys do missions too. Uh, you support more than Debbie and I. You have quite a few missionaries that you support. When you do that, do it with a really good conscience and good heart. Say, okay, well, let's sow into, into the world. We make our money here. We can bring some of it and we can send it off to missionaries. Thanks for that. You guys have been supporting Debbie and I now for pushing on three decades. It's decades, not three years. It's a long time. When we came here, we were like some of these other young people around here. And now we're getting older. We've been on the journey together. The older people are getting old. Some of them have gone to be with the Lord. New ones are coming on. New, you're doing things a little bit different. Let me pray for you. And I'm going to share tomorrow. Uh, have a bit more time. Uh, if you want to come and share. If you want one of our prayer cards, fridge magnets are all up the back. You see us, you can pray for us and have part in the missionary work that we're doing through, through prayer. Father God, I thank you for each and every one of my brothers and sisters here today. Uh, I think you were in the same family. Uh, some of them are my older brothers and sisters and some are really the younger ones. And I thank you that you're going to come back and get us. I think, it, I think it's a great promise that you're going to fulfil. I thank you, Lord, that you uh, paid for our sin. And I thank you, too, that even the sin we're going to do uh, until you do come back, you're going to burn it all up. And when we go through that uh, judgment seat of Christ, the fire that we're going to go through, we're going to have some things on the other side. There's going to be some gold, silver and precious stones that's going to come through, times where we've loved you and served you. But the things that have not been good, the things that have been bad, they're going to be gone. That's just such a tremendous God that you are, that you have every part of our lives in full uh, you want the very, very best for us. So, Father, again, uh, bless my brothers and sisters. Use them greatly. Those older ones are going to be gone if you tarry. And we thank you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>